Geeks, the MMA Geeks, C-Level Podcast, with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to episode 154 of the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Jariah, and my co-host, the Alex Pereira left hook to my Israel Adesanya UFC title reign, Nick Braccia. Excited to break down UFC 181 with you, brother. How are you? I'm all right. From now on, though, with all of our shows, I think I need an honorific or some kind of... Uh little name for you to call me in on, like, Ric Flair is the nature boy. Um, Buddy Rose was playboy Buddy Rose. I'd like you to introduce me as handsome Nick Braccia. From handsome now Nick Braccia? Oh, it's, it's like, yeah. that's like calling the, the giant guy tiny kind of thing? I'm into it. I, no, I'm no, it's not, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not like that at all. <laughs> no, you're actually a very handsome man, Nick. And you know what, Nick? If you want to be called handsome, I'm going to call you handsome. I try to slip in a compliment here and there. Um, yeah. But no, but, from but, now on, I will not. I will not answer unless you in, unless you refer to me as handsome Nick Brown. So I should have said the Alex Pereira left hook to my Israel is Adesanya UFC. T- oh man, I'm fucking that up. Come on, man. And then I'll say handsome Nick Braccia, kind of like Matt Wyman, that, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Actually, he's pretty handsome too. He's a he's um, a very, he's a very handsome man. Uh, not a dude. He, he was rough toward the end of his UFC career, but he's a handsome, handsome man. Nikolai, we're gonna get dive into UFC 181. This um, is it 281. UFC 281. Adesanya versus Pereira. This is uh, the thir- third fight between these two gentlemen. The first fight under mixed martial arts rules. I'm I'm intrigued by it. I'm fascinated by it. the odds being closer, uh, obviously in favor of Adesanya, but much closer than we're used to Adesanya going into a title defense. Uh, we've got a co-main event that we cannot possibly complain about if we want to. Carlos Barza versus Wei Li Zhang. I mean, Carlos Barza has proven time and again that in a title fight, as long as she's facing Rosna Mayunas, she is successful. But can't she do it against anyone else? Uh, we're going to find out. Wei Li Zhang getting another crack at that title. It's a fascinating division in which Rose beats Zhang. Zhang might beat Carla. And, and, and there's this weird kind of round robin where it's hard to really decide on who the established no doubt about it, a uh, uh, person at the top is. Weili Zhang has a shot at kind of solidifying herself, but she's going to, I think, need to beat uh, Rose Namayunas if she does get this win over Esparza. Poirier Chandler, man, we've got so many things to discuss on this card. I'm super, super psyched about it, man. Uh, last week's card, I guess, look, if we have time at the end, we're trying to make this a one-hour show. We'll get into it a little bit, but extremely impressive uh, win by Amanda Lemos. She, I mean, at this point, she's just a scary human being. Um, I believe I have the first pick this week, Nikolai. As our listeners know, we take turns picking fighters on the upcoming UFC card. Uh, generally, a win is worth one point. An underdog of plus 150 coming through for you is worth two points, plus 150 or above. An underdog of plus 250 or above is worth three points. Nick, I am about 21 or 22 points ahead at this point. We tied for the last event. I think we each scored four points. Um, me getting the first pick in this one, I think I have to go with the co-main event between Carla Esparza and Wei Li Zhang. Esparza, she's done it again. She has had the longest time in between title reigns. I think I think it was uh, something like, let me see, six or seven years between title reigns, Nick. It's never been done before in this longer way. Than Ra- longer than Randy Couture. But would Coutures be considered um, because they were different classes? Well, Ra- Randy Couture, or that, I mean... Or was that uh, not as long? 
I, I don't think Randy Couture had that much of a split between between championship title. I don't think it was ever more than a couple of years. Uh, between his light, between light, between his light heavyweight reign and then his um, heavyweight yeah. I mean, reign? it's 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 worth looking oh. up, but but I don't think it's nearly as I, I don't. I think it might be half this time, maybe a little bit more than half the time. This is okay. like tremendous, You're probably right for her to accomplish it. But it's weird because she won the title in her UFC debut and then retained the title. Uh, what was it, six or six to eight years later, whatever it was, Nick. We have that matchup against Wei Li Zhang, and Wei Li has looked just tremendous since her UFC debut. And the tremendous, I mean, like, she's looked fairly technical, she's fairly strong and explosive, she's quick, right? And we saw her kind of moving up the ranks with a decision over somebody like Danielle Taylor, who was pretty low level. Um, beat Jessica Aguilar, who was who was looking terrible at the time. Ran right through her. Tisha Torres, a uh, somewhat competitive decision. And then the title shot against Jessica Andrade, which she really only got because she was from China in the UFC. Uh, I think it was a, if I'm not mistaken, let me see, UFC and ESPN plus 15. Was that in China or, yeah, this was, right, this was a fight night in China. And that's the main reason she got the title shot. And she ran through Jessica Andrade, who gave her insane counter opportunities, who took that knee up the middle, ran through her in the first round. Beat Yuan and Jacek in the fight of the century kind of matchup. Um, and then lost two fights to Rosanna Mayunas. One of them debatable. One of them was a quick head kick. Back and dominated Joanna Janjacek. Like, we've never seen Janjacek dominated. Granted, she retired right thereafter. But right but for Weili Zhang to do what she did against Janjacek, the way that she did it, it is unbelievable. She just completely ragdolled her and then finished her with a spinning back fist. And then... We have Carla Sparza, who made her way up back to the title shot by winning really close decisions. She did get that dominant win over uh, Zhao Nanyan. Um, TKO'd her in the second round from the crucifix, crucifix position, right? She's known as probably the best wrestler in the division. I don't think she's a stronger fighter here, right? She's had trouble keeping up with the cardio in that third round in many of those matchups. There's a reason why her win over Marina Rodriguez is a split decision. Michelle Watterson, split decision. A majority decision win over Alexa Grasso, right? Uh, uh, Claudia Gadella, she lost a split decision to. Like, she goes to Random Marcos, she even lost a split decision to back in 2017. I mean, Random Marcos beat her, who is largely a journey woman throughout her UFC career, right? So close decisions have been the name of the game for her. And Wally Zhang, I mean, if she goes to a close decision, it's on her way up, it's on her way developing, whereas Carla Sparza is about as developed as she is going to be at age 30. Wei Li Zhang is at the peak of her career. Her skills have combined with her, and I should say skill development, has combined with the fact that she's incredibly athletic. She has serious snap in her punches. She is stronger than ever. Her wrestling technique is better than ever. Her grappling technique is really good. Um, and just to begin with, she's a dense, heavy-hitting fighter who can take punishment. I think Wei Li Zhang has so many advantages in this matchup. If she allows Carlos Barzal to make this a close fight, I will be very surprised, and I will be very impressed by uh, Esparza. But I think Wei Li Zhang at minus 360, I think she's a good buy. There's a good chance that she's a stronger fighter. There's a chance that she can out-wrestle Carla Esparza. Um, and I think that even if Carla Esparza get on top, Wei Li Zhang is not the type to just hang out on her back. She is not like some of those other fighters that Esparza's fought in the past who don't really have much of a stand-up technique. I think it's a little bit of a problem at 115 pounds, right? Where Marina Rodriguez doesn't really make her way up to her feet quickly enough. Michelle Watterson goes for, uh, predominantly works for submissions off her back. Alexa Grasso will work for submissions off her back, and, and she kind of got stuck there for moments, ended up getting up to her feet occasionally. But I expect that even at her best, if Carlos Barza gets top position, she's not going to be able to keep Wei Li Zhang there. Zhang is going to land hard, 
devastating shots on her. She's probably going to be able to take her down at least in the second half of the fight. Um, there's going to be some level of ragdoll after Esparza's cardio is not at the same point. If she was struggling with her cardio at age 32, 33, how's she going to do at age 35? Granted, yeah, I know she's a champion uh, training for five rounds, but when she was training for three rounds, she was getting exhausted in that third round, lost most of the third rounds that she's fought in the UFC. So um, I, I'm confident in Weili Zhang here. I think minus 360 is a very reasonable price and certainly somebody to put into a parlay or two. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm with you here, although I've been, in, you know, in my mind's eye, I've wondered if, if somehow Carla can beat the odds. Um, and I wouldn't, you know, I don't want to knock Carla Esparza's cardio. It's more that this, the style that is her path to victory is the most exhausting style possible. She, ha- I mean, she needs to be, like, pressuring and shooting all of the time. Um, maintaining top position, like that is her path to victory. She's not a fighter that's going to stand in the middle, step back, take a couple of le- uh, take a couple of like hops, you know, and then re-engage. Like right. she's got to be driving for that takedown, and it is exhausting. And the the fact of the matter is that if she is unable to apply that style and get Zhang out of there in the first two rounds, which is highly unlikely, Wei Li Zhang's just a She's a better athlete. She's a she's a better striker. Um, she's more durable, I think, in a fi- you know in a five round fight. Uh, well, she, I think she's more durable, and I think she's more her style is better suited to five rounds. And she's had five round absolute wars, um, where she's you know she's shown up big. Like she had some difficulties in the fifth round against, if I recall, against Johanna, and definitely lost the fifth round to Rose when the title was you know if she had won that round she would have regained the title. Um, I, it's just that, yeah, you, any way that you slice it, Jang is just the, the tougher out, the safer bet. Um, I think, you know, what's most, what's most likely to happen. This is the kind of fight that I could see ending in like a, in like a standing KO, you know, a standing TKO, um, where like Zhang just, Unloads um, and you know catches Esparza in between positions, um, and Esparza is just not going to. I don't think she's going to be able to implement her her game plan, and Jake's not going to do a Rose Namajunas and and you know and hang around hang around on the outside waiting to see what Esparza does. Um, so I'm with you. I'm with you on the pick. Although it'd be kind of cool to see Esparza <laughs> like hold down the fort. Can you imagine that would be absolutely, that, that would be absolutely insane, especially leading into the main event that would come right after. That would be unbelievable. I just I hope mean, it's, if it does happen either way, just don't let it be boring. Like that last fight with Esparza. Well, the, I don't think, I don't think it's possible that that, that, that would happen. I think if like, if Zhang makes him, if Zhang panics and makes a mistake, let's say Esparza when she's fresh, you know, gets a, gets a takedown and is able to, you know, get, some sort of head shoulder choke or real or rear naked choke early, you know, it's, it's possible, but high, like highly unlikely. Yeah. I most certainly would be- not rely on that under any, any circumstances. I think Weili Zhang is, is definitely, and again, I, I think it's likely enough that she finishes this fight. She does serious damage. She's incredibly strong. She's durable. Her cardio is through the roof. And on top of all that, she's got an plethora of high level elite experience against the very best in the history of this division, um, I, I think this will be this will be the third champion in the history of this division that she's fighting. And I think are those the only champs now? Yanjacek, Nami Yunus, Andraj, 
um, Wei Li Zhang and Carlos Barza. If she could win this fight, she's faced every champion, and it's just a matter of beating Rose in order to like solidify her legacy as the greatest of all time in this in this division. Agree. Uh, my first pick. Um, it won't be you know. I'm gonna pick against a popular fighter. This is a strange bit of matchmaking, but um, I'm gonna take um, the good all around and very strong on the ground, uh, Aaron Blanchfield. Uh, to defeat the the UK sensation uh, Molly McCann, I you know listen Molly, Molly's going to be a big a big draw in the UK like a like a Darren Till and a Patty Pimpleton um, whether she whatever her record is um, and they're putting her in here against another like real prospect to see where uh, you know to see where she stands and I think this is a really unfavorable matchup for Molly. Um, She's an ex- she's an exciting if sometimes sloppy stand up fighter, um, and I just I, I could I could just see her getting her nose ground into the mat uh, uh, in this fight. Aaron Blanchfield's not going to hang around waiting for Molly McCann to land a spinning elbow. <laughs> like she's just, she's Definitely just not. not. Um, so I think this is I I think this is most likely um, unless I mean McCann's opportunity I think is going to be to to you know to maybe try to catch her early or something, but. We haven't seen no evidence that um, that McCann's going to be able to keep uh, keep this fight standing, and uh, that Blanchfield's going to engage in the kind of wars that Molly uh, has made her trademark. And nor am I nor am I convinced that Blanchfield wouldn't be able, uh, you know, to land in those. I think she's the I think she's the better athlete. Um, so yeah, I think uh, I'm going to go with Aaron Blanchfield over. Uh, a, a, fa- a fan favorite and a fighter I enjoy a lot, uh, Meatball Molly McCann. Yeah, I've got to I've got to agree with you. I mean, a fighter that lost to Procopio, to to you know a, cu- a couple of her early kind of UFC losses, largely Molly McCann is a journeywoman, and I think like for her to get the popularity that she's gotten by beating Luana Carolina and Hannah Goldie, who are, I mean, Carolina's not a bad fighter, but Hannah Goldie is just a jobber, and and for her to like get the recognition that she's gotten with those wins, a lot of it is because of her personality, right? She's really likable. She is bombastic. Um, interesting to watch. Speak of nothing else, she's funny as hell. She's a character, and you know, looking at this matchup, Nick, without looking at their ages, what would you say is the age difference between these two? If you had to guess, how many years apart? Oh God, I didn't I didn't check this, but I. I would guess that Aaron Blanchfield is two years younger than Molly McCann. Nick, they are exactly, to the day, nine years apart. Molly nine? McCann, nine years apart to the day. They're, both their birthdays are on May 4th. Um, Blanche, Blanchfield was born in 1999. She's only 23 years old, Nick, against the 32-year-old McCann. It's insane. Otherwise, physically, right, they match up really close. Both 5'4", 64-inch uh, reach for Blanchfield to 62 for McCann. So maybe, the, you know, the power advantage can be mitigated to an extent by that. But I think even standing up, Blanchfield should be fine as long as she's throwing straight punches, keeping her distance. She's going to get takedowns here. She's going to get consistent takedowns. She gets four takedowns per 15 minutes. That's impressive. That's more than one takedown per round. And she tends to control really well, too. If you look at their strikes landed, very similar. McCann lands 5.84 per minute, which is a lot. High output, right? Aaron Blanchfield lands 5.69. But Blanchfield takes two and a half shots per minute. McCann takes 4.84. Almost as much shots that she lands, she takes per minute, right? So there's there's a big difference in that way. But McCann has a wealth of experience. A wealth of experience. 
in the UFC, in mixed martial arts period. She's got 17 fights to Blanchfield's 10. The age difference, right? Um, I, I, I like Blanchfield here big. I think you're making the right call at this point. But McCann, given her power, she's dangerous, man. Like She's somebody that might just land on just about anybody at that division and knock her out if she can land clean and, and land well. So so it's entirely possible that, uh, not entirely possible, it's possible that she gets a knockout, but I don't, I don't like the likelihood there. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between... I guess I'll go with the Dominic Reyes Ryan Span matchup. Look, Ryan Span has. You always do this. You always pick the fight that's on the tip of my tongue. That was my next fight, and then you give me shit for making bad picks after you hijack mine. Anyway, go ahead. Your, <laughs> well, your, your listen, stupid you stupid pick. You, you you pick you pick some really unreliable heavyweights like way earlier than you should. Uh, but here's the thing: uh, uh, when it comes to when it comes to um, Reyes, right? Everything went downhill for him after that. Very debatable decision loss to John Jones for the title. He could have been champion, man. It could have been such a different trajectory in his life. I'm not saying he would have been undefeated since then, but after that, he got finished by Jan Blachowicz. He got finished by Jerry Prochowska. These are two very dangerous, um, very offensive fighters. And Ryan Spann is dangerous. He is offensive, but defensively, he is porous. Right, his chin is not great. His takedown defense isn't awesome. Submissions you can get on him. He can catch a submission against a low-level guy. He can knock out just about anybody. He has that kind of power. He's a large 6'5", 205 pounder, right? So he's a big dude. But he's a guy who alternates wins and losses, beats guys like Ion Kutilaba. Granted, Kutilaba, on paper, an impressive win. But if you look at his recent record, he's been looking really shitty. Misha Serkinov, like, just about anybody can can knock that guy uh, out. You know, you blow a candle out, and if he's in the path, he's probably going to go unconscious. <coughs> Sam Alvey got a split decision over that arguably shouldn't have been his. Lost to Johnny Walker and Anthony Smith. I think Dominic Reyes, as long as he is let's say even 70% of the fighter that he was at his peak, which he might not be, to be fair, right? He, he might be shot. He might be he might have lost all of his confidence. But as long as he is 70% of the fighter that he was, he should be able to do well here. Look, Ryan Spann can knock out any man in the world. Uh, I'm not going to bet on that, though. I'm going to bet on the the, the speed, uh, the the offense. the, the, the like I'm going to bet on Reyes' durability over Ryan Spann's. Uh, I like Dominic Reyes here to uh, probably yeah. finish this fight. I mean, listen, Ryan Spann, as you said, is a powerful guy. But the fact is, like Jan Blachowicz is very well rounded, a big dude, and has a really good. I think has a really good fight IQ. Yes. Yuri Yuri Prohashka, I don't know if you would say that Yuri has a great fight IQ, but he is a striking savant. He's a like in his own way, he's a genius. Um, Ryan Spann is neither of those things. The other thing that I think is a differentiator here is Dominic Reyes has really when he uses them, he's got really good kicks. He can keep. He can like like Dom, Dominic Reyes is a better fighter at kicking range uh, than Ryan Span is, and he should be able to keep Span off of him. And in in fights we've seen him like the Ozdemir fight, super, you know, super technical, um, and and the and the Jones fight. Like Reyes is, I think um, he's able. To, he's very very smart about distance. Um, I think he got, you know, I think he just got hurt. Like Blahovich's power with those, you know, with those body kicks, uh, put him in a rough put him in a rough spot and yep. in the Prochaska fight he was doing everything he could he was just you know he it's like he was fighting against a supercomputer that had a faster processor than he did and yeah he just and, got, and to be fair he got beat like yeah no you're right and, and he fair. and and he, he he fucking knocked out Yuri in that fight he right that's what Yuri I was gonna and, say exactly and Yuri and Yuri woke up like you know and I'm and I'm so glad this guy took a year and a half off I think this is a you know I wish he was coming back against someone a little less like dangerous, but this is if Dominic Reyes is the fighter that he was uh, when when he left, um, and his brain is healed and he's feeling good, and he fights to his ability. I still think he's a 
I still think he's a title contender. I think he did the smart thing, and uh, I think he's the clear pick in this fight. Um, so thanks for thanks for stealing one from me. I do what I'm I can. I'm gonna go to uh, one of the other main card uh, fights. I'm gonna pick. Uh, I hope this doesn't bite me in the ass. Um, and you may think it's too early, but whatever. Fuck you. I'm gonna pick uh, Dustin the Diamond Poirier to defeat uh, the the bootlick and ass kissing Michael Chandler, um, the UFC fan favorite, uh, or the UFC. The fa- I'm sorry, the favorite of the corporate UFC. Um, you know, Ch- I think Chandler's. Chandler's style is going to be his worst enemy in this fight. Like, Poirier is really, I think, is really durable. Um, you know, he did get knocked up by Michael Johnson. He did get lit up a bit by uh, by Dan Hooker. But in the in the Connor fight, uh, in, in the Holloway fight, he's. Uh, I think he's going to. I think he just has more tools, and he's going to. And he's a better all around MMA fighter. And he's going to. Uh, and I think he has a better fight IQ. And that he's going to. He's going to use that. Uh, you know, to win this fight. Can he take Michael Chandler's best shot? Probably, but I don't think he wants to take too many of them. Um, and I think he has, I think he has more passive victory. The danger here is, um, can Chandler keep Poirier on his back? But the fact of the matter is, I don't think Chandler wants to fight that way. And I, you know, I think, uh, I think Poirier has got the precision, um, to put him to to put him down. So I think if Chandler fights the way Chandler does, very similar to like an Eddie Alvarez, like out on his shield guy, I think Dustin's just this. I think Dustin's just the smarter, uh, more more all around fighter. Like the question is, right? You know, Chandler's a prize fighter fighting. You know, he he doesn't give a shit. I don't I don't think he really gives a shit about titles. I think he just wants to be in exciting fights, win bonuses, make a lot of money. We don't know what the loss to Charles Oliveira did to Dustin Poirier and his aspirations in his place as a fighter. So I worry a little bit about that. Sometimes guys come back after a big loss like that and their fire is just not the same because something, you know, something broke. They're just like, they did not, you know, they did not reach the mountain. And it's like, what am I doing up here? Three quarters of the way up the mountain. Um, So I worry about that a little bit. And maybe it's just my dislike for Chandler and how much I, I appreciate Dustin Poirier as a person, but I think he's the, I think he has more paths to victory. And I think he's, I think he's just smarter and craftier in the cage. And, um, I think he'll let Chandler's bulldoggedness uh, be his worst enemy. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if I've ever agreed with you more as you talked about Chandler's unlikability, yeah. his bootlicking oh. versus Poirier. I thought, I thought you were going to talk about my anal- about my my analysis, <clears throat> but okay. The analysis wasn't far off either, and you made a good point about you know we've seen that where Poirier su- struggles is when somebody's able to um, get top position on him, but it's got to be a really <laughs> elite grappler to really do something from that top position. Uh, I, I think Cub Swanson years ago, back in 2013, had success against him by getting top position. I know, different Poirier, I get that. Khabib basically, you know, once that guillotine was out of the way, generally dominated. Connor had better moments against Khabib than did Poirier uh, as far as defensively against grappling. Charles Oliveira, you know, just about the moment he got on top, he got his back. It was about over, right? So there was some concern there, but Michael Chandler's not that kind of fighter. He's not that good of a grappler once it hits the ground. He'll hold you down. He'll he'll keep guard and, and he'll pound on you, and that's what he likes to do from there. Um, I think he's likely going to go for it. Um, I don't know if it's going to be that simple. I think that Poirier's mature enough to not let the mental games get to his head, considering there's some tension between these guys, and Poirier was jawing at him. And I don't know if that's Poirier losing his mind a little bit. You you alluded to where he might be mentally, given you know that he's in this in this position where 
you know, he's not really up for a title shot, although the current champion, he could certainly fight him if he gets a couple, puts a couple of wins together. He has to put a couple of wins together to get there, right? Um, this is a guy who beat Justin Gaethje and Dustin Poirier, right? Like, beat him when Justin Gaethje was, you know, on the, on the up and up, but he, like, outcrafted him. He was able to take his shots and, and beat him up. Uh, beat Eddie Alvarez. He beat Max Holloway, dude. He beat Conor McGregor. He beat, uh, at his best, Dan Hooker in a firefight. Michael Chandler's not on that level. There's no question about it. Michael Chandler has the power to buzz just about anyone in that first round. But I'm going to rely more on Poirier's durability than Michael Chandler. Uh, Michael Chandler, if you saw his fight with Tony Ferguson in that first round, Tony Ferguson was touching him up and hurting him badly. Tony Ferguson's never looked as good um, against anyone in, I shouldn't say never, hasn't looked as good against anyone in many years as good as he did in the first half of that first round. And then, yeah, he um, ended up giving up a takedown and Michael Chandler wrote out that round. But I have every reason to believe that Tony Ferguson was probably on his way to a win. Had that very lucky, very weird and awkward kick not landed. Now, but that's the thing is Michael Chandler is explosive enough to throw a limb into your jaw and, and just knock you out suddenly. So there's a risk there. As you alluded to, um, you know, Michael Johnson, who's knocked uh, Poirier out before, right? Conor McGregor's knocked Poirier out before. It's possible to starch him early. Um, Chandler's a professional starching people early, but not at this level. Chandler's largely kind of a journeyman who can get occasional wins over top 15 level competition. Um, I hope this is not one of those occasions. I like Dustin Poirier here too, and I don't think it's a bad time to make the pick either. My next pick is going well, to be... One last thing I'll say, just mm-hmm. I know, I know um, we want to move briskly, but if, um, I don't think these mind games are going to do anything to Poirier if the, like to Chandler stuff, where he's at personally, we don't know, but that Connor third fight, he kept his cool despite Connor talking shit about his wife and just like, if he was able to maintain his head against McGregor in their third fight, I don't see Chandler getting in his head. Yeah, I think you're making a fair point, but at the same time, you know, he'd already dominated Connor and he wasn't coming off of a loss against Connor. So it is a weird dynamic. I hope you're right. That combined with the fact that he's relegated to this like almost position where he was once seen as the uncrowned champ going into that fight against Oliveira. Um, I wonder what that'll do to his psyche because he saw himself that way too. He saw it as like, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to win this title. I'm going to be champion. This is my time. And then for that to come crashing down, I, I hope it doesn't negatively affect his career. Let's face it, after Oliveira, he spoke about how he doesn't know what's next. He doesn't know whether he should move up to 170 or if he wants to fight again. All he wants, interesting fights, etc. Right? Like, that's a very big mind shift. And I hope that he can keep his composure in that mind shift and still do his best in this matchup. Uh, I'm in agreement with you on the pick. My next pick is going to be in the Julio Ars montel jackson matchup. Montel Jackson is a giant at 135. He is very physically strong. He's got good offensive wrestling. He hits, he's got a piston jab cross. Hits really fucking hard. I think he got four knockdowns in his last matchup against J.P. Bays. But that's J.P. Bays. J.P. Bays is not really a quality fighter at all. I don't think he has a win in the UFC. Uh, I might be mistaken. Maybe he did pick up a win in there somewhere. But, I mean, the, the guy got cut from the UFC because he couldn't cut it, right? So to dominate a guy like that is one thing. But Montel Jackson looked really rough in that first round. J.P. Bates had dominant moments against him in the first round, particularly in the grappling range. Um, I like Julio Ars here, dude, at plus 170. I know that Julio Ars is kind of trading off wins and losses. I know that his losses are to really athletic, explosive fighters, which Montel Jackson is, right? His losses are to Hakeem Duwadu by split decision. It was it was competitive, but I thought Duwadu won clearly. Shaman Marais by split decision. Um, again, very competitive fight. And then Yadong Song got that knockout over him. Yadong, we see that he's like, he's about near the top at this point in his career. And wins over Julian Arosa, Daniel Tamer, uh, Andrew Ewell, and Daniel Santos. Not as nearly as impressive, right? Montel Jackson on paper looks better than those guys that he's beaten lately. But he's not as good as the guys that, that uh, Julio Ars lost to. Um, so I'm going to take the underdog rider on Julio Ars for two points. Um, 
I uh, look. I, I like the guy. I'm biased because he's a guy that was on the come up uh, when, when I was competing. When my team was coming up, he's fought a former teammate of mine and, and submitted him. I think via knee bar, if I'm not mistaken, something along those lines in the amateurs in New Jersey back in the day. And then to see him enter the UFC and, and watch his career, really an impressive guy. Really sharp standing. Really technical. High MMA IQ. Um, he he has a good ground game on top of it, right? He's just I hate that he's going between wins and losses. Just a really really tough to, uh, division. I just don't think that Montel Jackson has the maturity or the wherewithal to actually uh, go through an entire you know th- 15 minutes with him and and get the edge. So I'm gonna go with Julio Arce uh, given this odds disparity. Yeah, this is gonna be one of my underdog picks. So good on you for getting there before I did. Um, I'm gonna move over and go to the main events here. Because I want to get my dog, I want to get some dog. Because you took that, and I want to get a, at least some dog picks in. Yep. Um, I'm going to go to this one. I am going to be taking the challenger Alex Pahea over Israel. Whoa, Sonia. Nicola, talk to me. I've got, I've got, you know, I've got some concerns mostly because Adesanya's. I think that Adesanya's defense is better. Um, I think he's, I think he's far more elusive. Um, we see like. <laughs> Pahea can kind of Frankenstein. He either can he either his defense is either Frankenstein, or he goes into the shell, or he puts his hands up. He does not have the head movement. Um, yeah. I guess he doesn't like short movements, but he's like his he's not nearly as elusive. But I you know I think he's um, I, I think he's got more power. He's gotten pieced up before by Adesanya, but I don't see Adesanya sitting down on his shots um, all that much because he's not going to want to be hanging around for that counter. So I think that we're going to see Adesanya um, probably landing more, um, and it may be in, in it may look like he's piecing up Pahea, but I just I think that Pahea's I think that Pahea's power is just different, and that over over five rounds he's you know he's going he's going to find that shot. Um, I'm also curious how much these guys uh, you know use their kicks. Uh, Pahea seems like he's been very fist focused, uh, in you know in the UFC. But I just I just think he's he's huge. He's dangerous. He's got the psychological advantage. I don't think either one of them um, is going to wrestle. Like I just don't think it's going to happen. Um, I mean maybe maybe we end up with the middleweight version of Nganu and Cyril Gan like rolling around on the ground. But I, I certainly hope not. Um, I just I have a lot of belief in a. In Pahea, like in his in his confidence, in his power, in his durability, um, and Adesanya just hasn't. Uh, yeah, we just I don't know. He seemed he seemed a little. Um, people can say like he fights safe or he point fights, etc. But I think uh, like you know GSP adopted that style. Um, you know, after a couple wars and deciding he didn't like taking a beating. Israel Adesanya really developed that style after Kelvin Gastelum, like, you know, beat him up pretty, pretty badly for a couple of rounds. Um, I think this is going to be, this is like Adesanya's Johnny, you know, GSP Johnny Hendricks moment. I just don't, I I don't see him coming out on top. I think he, I think that this is, um, I think that Alex Pahea is his, is his boogeyman. I do not see him exercising that demon. Yeah, it's a fascinating matchup, and I'm intrigued by it for so many reasons. Pereira, the way he fights, man, he's just fearless. 
And a lot of it is because he knows he's durable and he can take big shots. And he kind of does, right? Like his defense isn't amazing. He can roll with shots occasionally. But he's okay with being in the pocket, standing directly in front of his opponent. Because he knows he has the durability and he knows he has the power advantage in just about every matchup. Adesanya used to be fearless in his kickboxing days. And he was always slick. He was always fast as heck. Always defensively oriented at the same time as being extremely offensive. Um, and in his mixed martial arts career, he's become more risk-averse, taking a lot less chances uh, when facing kind of dangerous opponents in particular, right? Whether or not he takes a big shot, he is very careful against dangerous opponents nowadays. Uh, he's susceptible to the left hands, as we saw with Kelvin Gastelum, as, with Robert Whitaker, with with, Mich- with Pereira back, back in their uh, second fight in their rematch. But Pereira is susceptible to faster kind of aggressive technicians, which Adesanya has the skills to pull off, right? The advantages for Pereira, you alluded to some of this, he's got the power advantage, he's more aggressive, he's the bigger man, even though they're both listed as 6'4". Uh, you know, he won the glory 205-pound title and honestly lost it in a very, 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 very close decision to the guy that he won it from. Um, his, his, uh, his output is high. He throws so many strikes per minute. Uh, and he potentially has a psychological advantage going into this one knowing that he's got that knockout win over Adesanya, even though that first decision was debatable. Adesanya's got the speed advantage. And, and just, uh-huh. just sorry to interrupt you. In the second yeah. fight, Adesanya was winning before. He Pena. was. He, he, he was. And, and, and he uh, first round was super competitive. Second round, Adesanya ended up, uh, uh, I think, dropping him or, or at least buzzing him a standing enough. Eight, a, st- a standing eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then and then Pereira ended up landing that left hook for maybe the eighth or ninth time in that fight. It's not like Pereira couldn't land the damn punch. You can tell that he was like landing it several times and it was landing hard. Adesanya has the speed advantage. He is the cleaner technician. He's got much better defense. He's got a plethora of mixed martial arts experience, particularly fighting 25 minutes, right? He's got better grappling and wrestling, but will he use it for the first time in his entire career, right? Uh, Adesanya was much more willing to fight aggressively against Pereira in their kickboxing matches, which I think is a big part of the reason why he was doing well for the majority of those six or so rounds that they fought, right? But again, since he's become timid and defensive, he mostly throws jabs and low kicks and uses that as a setup for occasional power shots, but those are so rare, so few and far in between now. Uh, Pereira really only loses to aggressive fighters because he's more hittable and, and he's... And he's willing to be hit, right? But Israel has not been aggressive in years. Adesanya has the skills to outwork him and still defend most shots, but is he willing to, especially after getting knocked out by him five years ago? On the one hand, Pereira, um, like he's he's got five-round experience, right? He's got five rounds to land a giant left hook. On the other, Israel has all the experience in a 25-minute fight, right? This is not five three-minute rounds. This is five five-minute rounds. This is not 15 minutes of fighting with with uh, five breaks or four breaks, I guess. This is 25 minutes of fighting with four breaks. So there is a difference there. For Israel, he needs to use his jabs to set up his right cross, which I think they're going to be the key when it comes to his hands. You don't want to hook with a hooker. And I know that sounds weird. It's, it's an old boxing thing. You don't want to trade hooks with a guy who is a really good at throwing hooks. You want to throw straight punches because those straight punches will get there. They'll get there at a bit more of a distance, and they'll keep him outside of hooking range. He needs to use his leg kicks to set up head kicks, which I think can potentially hurt Pereira. Um, and, and he must pressure forward with paints, uh, feints. Excuse me, right? He's got to set traps and be ready to counter most counters uh, of Pereira while staying defensively responsible. Izzy has the edge on points um, and, and was in the lead before he got knocked out, as you kind of alluded to. Um, and he's shown that he has the power to hurt him, especially in, in four-ounce gloves. I think that can go either way. For Pereira, 
setups for the left hook, right? He's got to throw that jab, particularly to the to the head, to the body, to the chest. His his kind of he settles his body weight down into that left jab and and convinces you that that's what he's trying to throw. And then he starts settling his body weight down into what looks like a jab and throws that left hook instead. I think Adesanya will be savvy to it, but Adesanya has been hit by a lot of left hands in his UFC career. Um, the the cross for Pereira is going to be part of his key as well. It's not his main power punch, but it's a powerful punch. He needs to throw those straight punches consistently. Um, that check left hook on the counter and offensively just stepping into that left hook. He's an, he's an expert at it, right? Constant offense with kind of mid-level power shots. Sometimes uh, he's really good at kind of throwing pitter-patter, pitter-patter, which, by the way, his pitter-patter for most people is their power shots, right? And then he'll just explode with a fast bop, bop, bop combo or explode with a huge left hook after giving you the false sense of confidence of like, oh, I'm taking these shots, I'm okay. Um, I think rolling with Israel Adesanya's counters is important since Izzy does really well countering against aggressive opponents, but he tends to counter with looping shots, and that's not a range in which you want to be with Pereira. I favor Izzy to win the fight given the experience and the speed advantage. He also is used to fighting for 25 minutes and has a huge cage to manage distance as opposed to kind of the small ring that they fought in before. Um, for this competition, though, I favor Pereira, right? For two points, I think it's worth the underdog shot. He'll have 25 minutes to set up and land the hook, even if he's losing the majority of the fight. We've seen Izzy struggle against aggressive opponents like Gastelum and Whitaker. We've seen him become defensively, uh, just very defensive, kind of in a defensive shell against powerful opponents like Yoel Romero and Jared Cannonier, where he chooses to take almost no risks after Romero lands the overhand left, uh, where he takes no risks against Jared Cannonier, even though he's clearly leagues above him. Uh, Pereira is both powerful and aggressive. He's also the elite kickboxer, which makes it less likely that Adesanya can just jab and leg kick his way to a decision. So, look, it's a close fight on paper. I favor Adesanya for two points, though. I think you're making the right call uh, in, in, in taking uh, Alex Pereira. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between Andre, Andre Petrovsky and Wellington Terman. Wellington Terman, I liked him when he first entered the UFC. Showed pretty good offensive striking. Showed pretty good offensive grappling. Um, looked pretty good even in a decision loss to Carl Roberson back in the day, back when Carl Roberson was seen as as a prospect. But it hasn't panned out well for him, right? I like that he trains with Glover Teixeira and Alex Pereira. I like that that's the team for him. But how many times has he gotten buzzed by Alex Pereira and how what effect is that having on Terman's chin? The fact that Terman was losing his fight against, I mean, you, you can't really put it any other way, against like a really, really bad, uh, a really bad fighter in... Um, Misha Serkinov until he caught that armbar, that's concerning, right? Andre Petrovsky is a really good grappler. Andre Petrovsky, outside of the fact that he's had pretty good success in the UFC, right? He beat Nick Maximov, which is impressive. Beat Yao Zhang Hu, which is not very impressive, to be fair, um, after his Ultimate Fighter stint. But he beat Phil Halls in a grappling match. That's good stuff. He beat Eric Anders in a grappling in, in a grappling match. And I don't mean beat him like outpointed him. He anaconded him in the first round. The same anaconda choke that he caught on Nick Maximoff. If Wellington Terman dares to shoot, he's probably going to get submitted here. Um, if they're standing, I like Petrovsky. I think he's going to be okay. The only concern with Petrovsky is his cardio has been an issue on the Ultimate Fighter, and we haven't seen him go very deep into a fight, except for he did get that third round, you know, last 15-second win against Yo Zhang Hu, who's not a very high-level fighter at all. Um, so I think if the fight goes deep, Terman survives the first, you know, dangerous maybe seven or eight minutes. He might take over, but I'm going to go with Petrovsky here. I, I think his grappling acumen is going to take away Wellington Terman's strength, and Wellington Terman's not fast enough to really do much to Andre standing. Andre is going to be the more powerful man on the feet. Uh, um, I agree with you there. Um, oh man, this next pick, I wish it was a f it's an underdog pick, but it's not at plus 150, so I'm a little hesitant uh, to take it. And, and so, you know what? 
See, no, you know what? I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna skip that one. Let me check. Let me look for something else. Too dangerous. Nick, no, that's see. This is I another... can't hear you, buddy. You've gone silent. Yeah, I've. Um... Hmm. There's like some underdogs that are not quite two pointers. So you know what? I'm gonna go with the two pointer. I'm gonna pick my favorite fighter ever because I have to for sentimental reasons. Uh, Frankie Edgar. Um, he's around plus one eighty. Uh, everywhere to take uh, uh, the 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 younger the younger fighter Chris Gutierrez. Um, it's it's Frankie and Madison Square Garden. Gutierrez is, is a tough out, but Frankie, even though it's been rough and his durability is not what it used to be, um, I think it's an I think it's enough uh, to hang with Chris Gutierrez. Um, I think that Edgar should be able to get uh, takedowns in this fight. Um, I think he should be able to limit the damage that he takes. And remember, Edgar was doing really well against Cheeto Rivera until he wasn't. Um, you know, he was doing really well against most of the, the contenders. It's just that his durability doesn't hold up, and he still is, he ends up, he always took damage, but he's ending up uh, kind of hanging in there and taking the big shot. Um, Gutierrez is, you know, younger, aggressive, good fighter. Um, but I, th I think this is still, even though he's the underdog, I think this is a winnable fight uh, for Frankie and his swan song at MSG. I think he has a shot at winning. I think Chris Gutierrez is at his absolute best right now. And the thing with Frankie is that, like you said, he, he took Marlon Vera down. And each time he took him down was because Marlon Vera threw either a knee or a kick. Right? So does he have the potential to do that against a heavy kicking game of Chris Gutierrez? Absolutely, man. Does he have the potential to keep him down and do some damage from top position? Yeah, Gutierrez lost the first round against... Um, who is who's this uh, fighter who, who I don't like? What was his name? Against... Uh, Cody Durden lost the first round like pretty decisively. Cody Durden got top position, got his back, and kept it. Frank Edgar could keep him down potentially, I think, even though it's going to be easier to get up uh, if you're on your back and guard. But uh, So I think Frank Edgar can do well early on. He can catch a kick and get a takedown. The problem is that Frank Edgar started to fade in the second half of that second round against Marlon Vera, who did kind of attritional damage. There was not a lot, whole lot of headshots. It was body shots. It was leg kicks. It was body uh, body kicks, right? And and Frankie Edgar just looked slower. He looked more plodding all of a sudden in the end of that second round. And then things started to kind of unfold from there. He's not the type to give in, I know. He's got good footwork. He's got really good boxing. He's got very good wrestling. And he <coughs> keeps you down while he pounds on you from top position, even if it's from that guard. Chris Gutierrez can be susceptible to all of that, but I think he can do enough attritional damage in the first half of that fight, even while he's losing that portion of the fight, to potentially finish Frankie late. But I agree with you. I think for two points in MSG, his swan song, your favorite fighter, you got you to gotta take that rider, and I think you're making yeah, the, and just the right call. Just to be clear, Frankie, Frank Yeager is the reason I became an, like, an MMA fan. I was watching a little bit casually. His fight with Tyson Griffin, I remember where I was sitting, what apartment I had at the time, watching yeah. that fight. Same here. Watching that fight against Tyson Griffin and just being like, holy shit. Yes. I need this. I was like, this sport and this guy. Like, you know, come on, five foot six. I don't even know if Edgar is. I think Edgar's, I don't know, his mother is Italian. or maybe, I don't know. But anyway, tri-state area, short, you know, short white possibly Italian guy from working us background. How am I not going to be like guys were in the seventies with Rocky? Like Edgar, Edgar was my guy. And the way that he carried himself was always so cool. And those Maynard wars and the BJ Penn fights and the, you know, watching how close he came with Aldo, especially the first time. And the fact that in the, he won that fucking Benson Henderson rematch. I don't care what you, anyone says. Um, the first fight was super close. The second fight, I thought Edgar won a clear decision. Yeah. They, they you know, um, he has been one of the most fun, most overachieving um, 
you know fighters in in UFC history and uh but it's time it's been really really sad uh watching like the de- watching him get uh finished in devastating fashion by Ortega by Sanhagen by Vera like you know you know, you like you like Frankie Edgar's slam of Gray Maynard and that knockout against the cage or his knockout of Chad Mendez, those being his highlight reels. Him on the other end of the highlight reel with those three fights, he's entered Chuck Liddell territory. And I'm hoping that he n- realizes that and in this fight does a little bit of like a Greg Maddox, does a little bit of like a CC Sabathia, that he is that he's crafty, that he stays out of the way, that he plays to his strengths and acknowledges his weaknesses. And can and can just kind of like sneak this one by, so he gets to gets to give his give a victory speech uh, at the end. Yeah, I hope so too, man. Fifteen years since Frankie Edgar, almost sixteen years since Frankie Edgar debuted in the UFC. Twelve years since he first won that title against BJ Penn, and a decision that probably shouldn't have gone his way. Man has had quite a career, and now he's one of the kind of on the smaller side of the 135 pound division. The man was champion at 155, 20 pounds up. Uh, it really is insane. He's had an incredible that career. That is insane. It really is. It man. is insane that he seems undersized at 135. It really, but, it really is great. I mean, Cheeto Vera looks so much bigger than him. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think you're making the, uh, I think you're making the pick correctly for the competition given the standing. Um, but I mean, I got a favor. Chris Gutierrez attritional damage outside of that. I'm just really going to be rooting for Fraggy. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between Dan Hooker and Claudio Puelas. Claudio Puelas is an up-and-comer. He's looking really good. His ground game is phenomenal. He's, I think he's from Peru, by the way. Last week I may have he mentioned... Is, he is Peruvian, and I really wanted Brazilian. to pick this fight. After you, after you mentioned knee bars before, I, was like, I wanted to be like, speaking of knee bars. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah. Um, but here's the thing. I think I'm going to go with Dan Hooker. I don't like Claudio Puelas' chances of getting takedowns. I think Dan Hooker can keep it standing. He can keep it at his range as a much bigger man. Look, a lot of it really depends on Dan Hooker's mental state. He's been on a rough, rough streak lately. He's He's been really losing a lot of fights, but he's beating guys kind of on this level. Uh, unless Claudio Puelas is really something special, which is very possible. His grappling is just, I mean, just about elite. Um, he could absolutely catch Dan Hooker, but he's no Islam Makhachev. Um, and and I don't think he's going to be able to get takedowns as easily. I don't think he's going to be able to really compete with Hooker standing. A lot of it depends on Hooker's mind state. Um, and and I think this is an interesting time for 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 that entire team of City Kickboxing, right? Like there's a few matchups here in which they could lose. In fact, all of the matchups on paper they could lose. Uh, this being potentially one of them. Uh, I'm I'm going to go with Dan Hooker by small margin. But again, it's getting tougher to pick in these matchups this late in our in our competition. Do you disagree? Yeah, I, uh, I just I do disagree. I was going to take Puelas, but he's not high. He's not an underdog, uh, enough of an underdog for me to pick up points. So I, I held off on that one. And instead, I'm going to take another guy who's um, an underdog. I'm going to take uh, Brad Riddell to defeat uh, Hinato Moicano. Listen, Hidel with the guy Hidel. <laughs> you got me there. I just yeah. Um, Brad Brad Riddell. Like, listen, Hanato Moicano is is not very durable. Brad Riddell is a tre- is a tremendous striker. His kicks are great. He's got good hands. Um, he's going to be at a, I believe he's at a reach disadvantage here. I need I would need to check the numbers, but it sure feels like it. But <clears throat> the fact of the matter is that I believe that with the people that Riddell has access to, who he trains with, um. That like Moicano, Moicano's path. Moicano is not going to win a firefight against Brad Riddell. Moicano is not durable enough. He's just not. 
Um, and I believe that Riddell is going to be very, very well prepared for Meccano's grappling game, and that he's not he's he is not going to give up his back. I think he's gonna I think he's gonna sting Moicano uh, and either win a decision uh, or finish him while being while being able to to push off his um, you know his kind of like you know Spider Man backpacky like neck grabbing game. I can't hear you, Stan. Sorry, I was muted. Brad, Brad Riddell coming off of two pretty devastating losses to Rafael Fazeev and Jalen Turner. These are like true finishes in the division. McConnell's also a finisher. He just doesn't have the ups, upside at this point in his career that Turner and Fazeev do. But he's coming off of two fights in which he was hurt terribly, man. And his that last fight was just, I fuck. I forgot about the Jalen Turner fight. Yeah, man. He, I mean, Jalen. I, I think I picked Jalen Turner in that one with some confidence because I think he might be something really special. Um, but the fact that this was only five months ago, the fact that you know. Seven months prior to that, he was knocked out with a wheel kick. Like, not great signs for his durability. The fact that the guy's not young, right? He's he's coming off of two losses in a row, and he's 31. To be fair, he's maybe younger than I realized, but he he's weathered, man. He's had a lot of kickboxing experience. He's taken a lot of damage over the years. Uh, so it is concerning. It's it's a toss-up. Uh, I, I probably wouldn't have picked this one even this early, even in the last half of our competition. Um my notes say Moicano by a hair, but I, Brad, I, I'm, I'll go with Brad Riddell, too. I, I won't disagree with you here. Uh, next pick is going to be for me. This is where it all gets really tough. I think I'm going to pick from the Ottoman Azatar versus Matt Frivola matchup. Matt Frivola is just got grit for days. He's a decent offensive wrestler. He's used to fighting much taller competition and pressuring them to wins. Ottoman Azatar is just known for hitting a guy once and them dropping. I don't think he's ever had a fight go past the first round. He knocks everybody out, but he's undefeated, right, with that record. He's got a lot of hype. He's, like, friends with, with Moroccan princes and kings of whatever, whatever have you, uh, Ara- Arabic countries, right? So, like, the, the, guy, the guy just has a gift when it comes to his power. And we've seen Frivola starts a couple times in his career. So I think for that reason, I'm going to edge Azatar very slightly. The last time they were matched up, Azatar, I think, ended up sneaking some, I don't know what contraband he stuck into the UFC Fighter Hotel and then got into serious trouble for it, was released by the UFC. And then, you know, the the groveling, like, evil manager, Abdulli Abdelaziz, somehow got him back in. I think he might be able to get a knockout here. Um, I'm going to go with Azatar, but not with much confidence. Yeah, I have Azatar also. I think he's. I think he does what he does. You know. Yep. Um, hmm. All right, we're down, we're down to two. There's only two fights left to pick, right? I'm, oh, no, I'm three, seeing three fights unless something. Three was fights. Yeah. No, you're right. Three fights left to pick. Oh boy. Oh god, this one I know. This is at like plus one forty two. I wish there were some uh, sexier underdog picks still to take, um, but there really aren't. I'm gonna go. Oof. I don't like any of these fights. I don't want to pick any of them. Um, I'm gonna go with KK <laughs> to have. I'm gonna go. It's crazy, but I'm gonna go with KK to have another like have our first win streak in forever um, to beat uh, Silvana Gomez uh, Juarez. I think that you know she, most of her losses, except for Jessica Penny, were to top tier talent. And I think if she's got a little bit of confidence back, um, she didn't. She's she's looked a little bit better lately, and I think so much of it was psychological. That I think I think this is a winnable fight. I, th- I think this is a winnable fight for her against a fighter that dro- that got that got submitted to Vanessa Vanessa Demopoulos. Yeah, I mean it's hard to have confidence in either girl. Carolina Kowalkowicz uh, came down with some kind of a disease. I 
I forget the name of it, years ago, and just started losing every goddamn fight. Started looking listless and powerless, and all of her advantages and strengths. Her clinch game was fantastic. Stand-up was always decent. Some of that looked pretty good in her last matchup. I like that she switched to American Top Team. I think that's probably in her favor, but... Like, this disease that she has, is it still a factor? Is she really recovered mentally from those five losses in a row to Jessica Andrade, Michelle Waterson, Alexa Grasso, Yanin Jan, and Jessica Penne? Um, everybody but Jessica Penne on that list is pretty elite, right? Jessica Penne by armbar in the first round? That was just a year ago, man. Like, that's really concerning, dude. Jessica Penne is not really kind of on that level. And then beating Felice Herrig, who was on her retirement fight, who looked just as listless as did uh, Kowalkowicz. I, I don't know if that's impressive either. Saviana Gomez is not great. Uh, doesn't have a great ground game. She can get taken down. She can potentially get submitted. Um, but she's got insane power in that right hand, and I think it's just a matter of her landing it at some point. So I'm going to disagree, but, you know, obviously not much confidence here. There, there's a reason why we're picking this one as one of our last three. Um, I just feel like Saviana Gomez is improving. She trains with Team Entron, which is a really high-level team, the best team in Mexico. That's where... Um, uh, that's where, uh, remind me of the Mexican former champion at 125, what's his name, Nick? Brendan Moreno? Brendan Moreno, like, that's, that's, a, that's the team that you Brendan forgot, Moreno right? Aren't I you did. supposed to be the, the elite know-it-all, the one that all the, all of our fans love? I'm the idiot, and you forgot the name of Brendan Moreno. Okay. Name, name recollection is not a strength of mine, Nick. I, I can, I can give you a, a technique matchup. I can talk about the intangibles of a matchup, but I, I need, I need notes with names in front of me at the very least, Nick. I will forget Israel Adesanya's name as soon as this episode's over somehow. Um, no, Izzy's name is pretty memorable, but you know what? Mohamed Lawal, I can't remember that man's name for the... You're not kidding. You are not joking, man. I've been doing a lot more sparring lately, too, so it does make sense. Yeah, so so I'm going to go with Silviana Gomez-Juarez because I think she could probably land a bomb like pretty early. That's the only way she wins. Even in losses, you know, when she lands that right hand, she either drops a girl or she buzzes her badly. Like, she has intense power, and she is improving. I liked her takedown defense in that last matchup against a pretty relatively low-level opponent, uh, and it was early in a fight, but it's hard to rely on Carolina. If Carolina was, was at her best, then I would certainly pick her here. Um, next matchup, I just feel like for, for a, um, a female fighter in Silviana Gomez, who has that level of power at 115 pounds, like that can be developed into something special under a team like Entrom, and I think maybe she might be on her way there. I'm hoping for her sake. Uh, next, I'm going to take uh, from the Mike Trezano sung Wu Choi matchup, Sung Woo Choi, you know, had a couple of rough first UFC fights, and then that led into a few wins that made him, like, a favorite against seemingly everybody that he was going up against, right? He he lost to Mofsar Evlov and Gavin Tucker in his first two UFC fights. Not a whole lot to be ashamed of there at all. Like, those are respectable opponents. And then he beat Sumar Mokhtarian, who's kind of a jobber. He beat Yusuf Zalal, who's a decent fighter, but not really strong enough to really compete against the athletic guys in that division. Julian Rosa he beat, which is impressive. In the first round, though, if that fight had gone deep, I'd bet Rosa would have taken over. Then he lost to Alex Caceres. He was kind of about crafted. Um, who is at his best now, to be fair? And Joshua Koulibaly just, like, out, out-sleaked him, essentially, in that last matchup. Mike Trezano, who, like, in his last matchup, he was going up against Lucas Almeida, and he had the skills to win that fight, he just didn't go for them. He hurt Almeida at some point early in that fight. He didn't go for takedowns. Almeida has mediocre takedown defense. Um, and I'm and I'm concerned, right? He's, he's, he's one and three in his last four matchups. Ludovic Klein, he beat, which is super impressive. Lost to Grand Dawson, nothing to be ashamed of. Hakeem Duwadu by decision, nothing to be ashamed of. But Lucas Almeida concerns me given the experience gap there. I'm going to pick Sung Woo Choi because he's coming off a knockout loss, Trezano is, uh, just, what was it, four or five months ago. Like, that's not enough time 
to get to this point and be ready to take big shots from a guy like Sung Woo Choi. So I like Sung Woo Choi to line something big probably in the first uh, six or seven minutes in the fight. If not, man, Trezano could outpressure him and, and outwork him to a decision. Uh, this either goes, uh, I think, Sung Woo Choi's way by knockout or it goes to a very competitive back and forth decision. Okay, just I just need to mark that down. And, uh, okay, for the last pick, I am going to take um, the Romanian wrestler, uh, Nikolai Nigamorano, uh, to defeat Carlos Olberg. I like, listen, Olberg looks like a million bucks. He hits hard. I just, his, I don't think his cardio is great. Um, he may be a little bit of a gas can, glass cannon. That's, you know, TBD. The fact is, in a, in a fight like this, he's got to land the giant shot against a guy who has seemed pretty durable so far. Very durable. And is, going to, and, and is going to wrestle the shit out of him. And I see Olberg being completely exhausted uh, by the beginning of the second round and not being able to stop in the Romanian, uh, you know. Of course, like, listen, he could, he could land something, uh, but I just, this is one of those fights where I default to the, I default to the wrestler. Yeah, I mean, Nikola is more of a brawler, but he's improved over the course of his UFC career. Now he's fighting a four-fight winning streak against pretty mediocre competition. The only good opponent he's had there is Kennedy and Zuchukwu, who got a knockout win in Carlos Soberg's UFC debut over Oberg. But that was a split decision that probably should have gone Kennedy's way. Um, and then outside of that, he beat some jobbers in Alex Akimura, Ike Villanueva, and Ihor Pretoria in his UFC debut. So hard to gauge. You're right. He's extremely durable. He's probably going to mix takedowns in, which is going to be the key. But Olberg, potential-wise, should be a step or two above Nikola. Nikola is the kind of guy with, like, with determination and grit. Uh, and the fact that he's just naturally a durable, powerful guy, like that combination could be pretty effective, can make you like a top 15 mainstay in the UFC. But uh, uh, like I'm, I'm going to I'm, I'm edging Nikola, too. But I think there's a good chance Carlos Oberg could be something special ish. Um, there could a chance. be. He's, and, he's and kind he of he has that Eric Silva up. thing. He's got that Eric Silva Maybe, thing. Maybe, possibly. Look, he, look, he looks like a million bucks. He kind of fights stupid and he gets real tired. Yeah, like it's hard to tell whether he, you're right. He had that really boring decision. Like, there's a mental element to it that Carlos Oberg hasn't worked out yet. He had an extremely, after losing to Kennedy and Zuku, had that extremely boring, like nothing happened in the fight against Fabio Charant. Nicola is not going to allow that to happen. And then Tafano Chukwi just kind of walked into a left hook from Olberg. So we didn't get to see the fight really play out and get to see Olberg's durability, his his uh, his uh, conditioning, his mental durability. So, look, I, I agree with you. Nicola's the more proven product. You got to go with him. But Carlos Olberg could possibly be something special, and he could possibly put it together with teammates like Israel Adesanya and Volkanovski with a team like City Kickboxing uh, training under Eugene Behrman. There's a fair chance he could put it all together. It's funny, Nick. You've picked against uh, Israel Adesanya. You picked against Carlos Olberg. You picked uh, against Dan Hooker. The one guy that you expect to get a win this weekend from that team, from City Kickboxing, is Brad Riddell. I'm fascinated by it. Well, I wouldn't say... Listen, there... I, but I was going to pick against Hooker. Oh, yeah, no, that, that's what I'm saying. Brad Riddell's the one oh. guy on that team that you thought uh, you think uh, should get a win this weekend. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. And, and I'm sure they're, I mean, mm -hmm. they're all close. I mean, yeah, all, I agree. Yeah. I, mean, I agree. Uh, this is an interesting one. This is a team that's gone like 3 0 or 4 0 in some UFC events, uh, and there's a good chance they're going to go like 2 and 2 in this one. If they pull off 4 0 in this one, that would be that would be remarkable. That would be really, really impressive stuff, especially Father, out of their homeland. Yeah. Father time comes for all men. Uh, how do you think? Did I pick? You think, did you think I pick real stupid this week or not? no? No, I, I think I think you picked pretty well. I think you and I were give or take, uh, step and step. My first pick was Weili Zhang. Yours was Aaron Blanchfield. My second pick was Dominic Reyes. Yours Dustin Poirier. Third, I took Julio Ars, and you took Alex Pereira. Fourth, I took Andre Petrovsky, and you took 
Uh, Frankie Edgar, fifth, I took Dan Hooker, which you disagreed with, and you took Renato Moicano. My sixth pick was Ottoman, uh, Otman Azatar. You picked uh, Carolina Kowalkowicz, sixth, and our final picks were Sung with Choi for me and Nikolai Negamariano for you. This this should be interesting, man. I'm, I'm very intrigued by the card. Yeah. I think it's fascinating stuff. Can't wait. This is uh, this card is you know, it's it's the, the reason we're MMA fans. Like I can't fucking Absolutely. wait to see what happens. Absolutely, All right, my man. friend. Do you do you have a minute to to cover last week's card for for a couple uh, minutes, or should we get out of here? Unfortunately, I don't. We cool. got to get Fair out enough. of here. Fair enough. Just but, amazing, you know, amazing Lamo, we Lamo. said we said what we needed to say. Lamo, yeah. yeah, Lemos looked awesome. That was not a bad stoppage, despite what Marina Rodriguez says. Right. Um, and uh, Neil Magny, yeah. man, still has still has something there, dude. Yeah, I wonder, man. After the suspension, I looked at his pecs. I was a little curious because, boy, yeah. did he seem did he seem revitalized? But no, no accusation there. It's just it's only because he popped previously. But yeah, he looked uh, I, after the second round. I thought I thought the momentum was swinging uh, to D Rod. I had picked D Rod, um, but Magny Magny Magnied. He yeah, Ma- Magni. But to be fair, Daniel Rodriguez rocked him so many times with that with that left cross. So like that durability issue is still kind of there. The pressure power puncher he's still susceptible to. Can I just quickly say Grant Dawson is something actually very special. Oh wow! And Mario Batista is something very special as well. Yeah. Um, okay. We will talk about da- Dawson. Look, I picked Dawson. And yes. I'm glad I did. Mm-hmm. And that um, that was an awesome performance, especially poor, poor Marco Madsen. Um, or Mark Madsen, the O is his middle initial. Not like Cormier was saying a Marco Madsen, like he was fucking Irish. But um, <laughs> man, uh, it's that guy moved to Arizona, right? He like uprooted his family. Can he just like, yeah, he just got over, he got overmatched everywhere by Dawson, who looked like a winner, sounded like a winner, was super accountable uh, for missing weight by just a little bit, even though it was a short notice fight. Um, but the thing afterwards that blew my mind on Twitter, I saw people calling for like, yeah, Dawson Patty. I'm like, yo, if you're managing the career of Patty Pimbleton, you think you got something special there? He's like three fights away from fighting at Grant Dawson. I think I Grant agree. Dawson would eat, would eat him for fucking lunch. Grant Dawson deserves. I don't know who the next fight is for him. Um, oh, you know what would be really fun? I don't know if they'll do this, but um, this is 155, right? Yeah. Jesus Christ, who's the? Uh, oh, Grant Dawson, Gregor Gillespie. That'd be a fucking party. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be. I mean, Gregor fights once, once every century. So I don't know. The Grand Dawson has much to win from that. Like, I, I think something with similar risk but a higher name is what he deserves at this point. But I don't disagree with you, man. Switch to American top team is more effective than ever. Just the idea of like he's a Greco-Roman Olympic wrestler, and I'm gonna out wrestle him by going for his legs. It fucking worked, dude. That's unbelievable. It worked. He, he, looked, he got rocked in that first round. So durability is a, a little bit concerning, but man, he just came back like nothing ever happened, got top position and dominated. Just incredibly impressive, man. And uh, Mario Batista, dude, like he's shown yeah. potential since his UFC debut against Corey Sanhagen where he was doing really well against him until he got caught. He is just, he's gangbusters. I look forward to seeing the elite competition. Well, I'll catch up with you uh, after the Looking forward to it.